This morning I want to begin with a thought that all of us know, that all of us are very much aware of, and that is this, over the course of our lives, certain questions and certain issues are going to arise. Okay. I thought you would know that, and you all are just looking at me like, really? There are going to be moments in our lives where there are going to be questions and there are going to be issues that we have to deal with. And here is what we know. Sometimes the questions that uh, arise before us, there's not always an easy answer to those questions. Sometimes the answers can be difficult. Sometimes the answers can be hard to know for sure as to what we should do. And, and I could illustrate this in multiple, multiple ways. But this morning, I'd like us to think about the issue of money. The issue of money, because certainly questions can arise when you're dealing with the subject of money, correct? When you think about money, life has a way of answering some of those questions for you. I don't have to wonder if I'm going to make a house payment every month. It's there. And it's saying, I will spend part of your money on a house payment. I don't have to question whether or not I'm going to pay insurance. That's a part of where my money is going to go. And I don't have to question if I'm going to buy groceries or clothes for the kids. I mean, those are just certain things you know. Money will be spent on these things. However, at least in our house, there are certain questions that I've had at different times. And the questions that I've posed to Susie before, and she's like, babe, I don't care, whatever you think, just, just fine, whatever. But the questions would be something like this. Should we be trying to pay our car off earlier? You know, I don't know about you, but I don't like car payments, and I don't like paying interest. And so there's this question. Should I be trying to pay the car off faster? The question that comes up for us from time to time is something like this. Should we be more aggressive in trying to pay the house off? I mean, if we did a little bit more here and a little bit more here, I mean, do you think that that would be a wise thing to do with our money? We, we say this from time to time, I wonder if we're saving enough for the future. Are we putting enough money in our IRA? Are we doing enough to be prepared for that day when, when maybe the money won't be coming in like it is now? And, and so there are these questions. Okay, what should we do with what little extra money we have? Should we put it toward the car, toward the house? Should we put it toward retirement? Should we be putting it in savings where we don't touch it? What should we be doing with our money? And here's why the question is a little bit more difficult for us than it might be for you. I don't know. But the reason it's a difficult question for us is this, is because if we take away money from here, or if we put money here, we have to take it away from something else. It's not like we're just sitting on this big pile of cash saying, oh, just throw it in the air and wherever it lands is fine with us. No, if we're going to put money here, then something from here has to receive less money. And so we don't have the financial resources to just do everything we want when we want and not really give any consideration to it. And so the agreement that Susie and I kind of came to as it relates to money and how we're going to spend it and how we're going to allocate it, the answer that we came to was this. We want to be responsible with our finances, but not at the expense of letting life slip by. We want to be responsible with the finances that we've been entrusted with. We want to be careful with how we spend our money, but not at the expense of letting life slip by us. Now, somebody says, I don't know exactly what you're talking about. Well, let me just illustrate this a couple of ways, okay? And, and, and I think you'll understand this. 
chances are I'm going to have car payments for a long time. Unless the right person, and I don't mean this to sound wrong, but unless the right person passes away and leaves me with an inheritance that I'm not expecting, I'll always have a car payment at least one. Now, now follow this. I'm going to have a house payment for a long time unless something were to change my situation that I'm not expecting. And if God allows, I will have many more years to contribute to my retirement and things of that nature. And so here's what Susie and I have decided. Be responsible. Take care of what you've got as best you can. But don't let life slip you by because you're focused on these things. So the reality for my family is this. I don't have as much money in the bank as I could but I want to be able to take Nathan to a football game. I don't have as much money in the bank as maybe we could, but I want to do special things for Susie from time to time. We may not get the car paid off as quick as I would like to, but I want to be able to spoil my girls from time to time, if at all possible. I don't want life, listen now, I don't want life to slip me by. And me be so focused on this that these things get neglected. Because as I'll mention more in just a moment, I've got a one-time shot with some of these things. And so here's kind of the motto that I've adopted for myself. And that is this, I want to do all I can while I can because there will come a day when I can't. I want to do all that I can while I can because there will come a day when I can't. Now, somebody may say, well, that sounds kind of like eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we shall die. No, that's not it at all. You can actually have that approach to life and that philosophy on life and it still be very balanced out in the way that it needs to be. But this morning, here's what I want us to think about, and that is this, there will come a day when we can't. There will come a day when we can't. And we ought to have a desire to do what we can, when we can, so that when the day comes that we can't, we're not looking back saying, I wish we had it. So what's that have to do with anything? Notice in verse number 15. Verse number 15 this is after the famine is recorded in the first several verses of this chapter and then a few verses in verses 10 through 14 that really are kind of abstract thoughts. We come to verse number 15 and it says, Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. Second Samuel chapter 21, verse number 15, we understand this very simple statement that the Philistines had war again with Israel. This isn't a surprise to us if we know anything about the relationship that Israel had with the Philistines. They were never allies. They were never friends. They were never partners in, in the cause for the greater good. They were never humanitarians working one with another and, and trying to reach out to different nations. No, the Philistines and the Israelites, they had a long-standing feud. They had a long-standing, you know, disagreements and arguments between the nations. And it was not uncommon at all for one nation to wage war or to wage battle against another nation. So as we understand that the Philistines have come out again, once again, against Israel, we read in the next part of verse number 15, it says, And David went down and his servants with him, 
and fought against the Philistines. And that statement in and of itself, it doesn't surprise us either. I mean, because here's what we know. If we know anything of David, we know that David was a man who had the heart of a fighter. If you go back and you begin to look at the life of David, this, this heart of a fighter would have definitely be, been seen when he was watching his father's sheep. A young man doesn't kill a lion and a bear if he doesn't have the heart of a fighter somewhere within him. At that moment, I would have the heart of a runner. You understand what I'm saying? I don't like to run, but if a lion or a bear were approaching me, it would not be the heart of a fighter that would rise up. It would be the heart of a runner that would take off. And yet here is David, a young man, out watching his father's sheep. And one day the bear presents itself. One day the lion presents itself. And here is David, that heart of the fighter, steps up and he takes care of the threat upon his father's sheep. And he eliminates the threat and he kills that lion and he kills that bear. But that's not the only time we see the heart of a fighter in David. We see it when Goliath is threatening the people of Israel. While everybody else was scared, while everybody else would run in fear, when everyone else was terrified of this giant breathing out his threatenings against the people of Israel, it was David who stood up and said, Is there not a cause? Yeah, but you're such a young man. You're such a small man. I mean, really, this guy is going to tear you up and he's going to destroy you. David, this is not for you. And David said, Listen, God is not going to have a problem with this uncircumcised Philistine. Friend, that's the heart of a fighter. In that young man. Well, as David would go out with the servants of Saul and lead them into different battles, David was not one to shy away from confrontation. And whenever you see David serving as the king of Israel, the second king of Israel, as different battles would be waged and as different wars would break out, I mean, there was David doing what? Leading the men out into battle. We are so accustomed to the fighting spirit and the fighting heart of David that we're actually more surprised when Scripture records the moment that he didn't go out to battle. It was when David should have been out in battle. Listen, please. It is when David should have been out in battle that he wasn't, that he had the affair with Bathsheba. And it is that time in his life and that moment in his life where most of us, if we know the Scripture, we're saying, man, that's not like David. That's not how he generally handles himself. Why? Because David had the heart of a fighter. So here he is. Verse number 15, it says, Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel, and David went down and his servants with them and fought against the Philistines. And we say, all say, yeah, that sounds about like David. But you know what I lose sight of whenever I read the Scripture? I don't know if you lose sight of this or not, but I mean, like for me, I, I go back several pages. And I don't know about where it'd be, somewhere in here, you know, okay, well, about 403 to 460. Got about 57 pages worth of history there on David's life. And here's what I lose sight of. I don't know if you ever lose sight of this or not, but with the turning of each page, we're dealing with a real live human being. Who did what? Who grew older. Just like every other human being. Yeah, David's young and ruddy in the first part of Samuel when we're introduced to him. And, and yeah, he's young and he's vibrant when he's fighting Goliath. And yeah, he's young and vibrant whenever he's running for his life from Saul. I mean, yeah, he's young and has youth and, and, and all this energy and all this charisma and all this passion. But, you know, by the time we get to Second Samuel... 21, 
He ain't 15 anymore. He's not 25 anymore, not 35, not 45, not 55. Some suggest he is in the latter years of his reign, which would have put him in his early to mid to late 60s. So notice what it says in the last, last part of verse 15. It says that you know, David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. And what does it say there? It says, and David waxed faint. David, the mighty warrior. David, the heart of a fighter. The Philistines have attacked and David is going to lead his men as he once led them. He goes out and he has this battle. He goes out and he engages in this war. And the Bible records for the first time that David waxed faint. What does it mean to wax faint? It means to grow weak or to grow tired. To grow weak or to grow tired. Now, please understand, I'm not trying to be flippant or silly in any of what I'm about to say in the next few moments. But don't you know that that was kind of a rude awakening for David? He had been in battle many, many times before. There had been many moments, many times, many occasions in which he had slain people, in which he had fought, in which the, in which the days would have been taxing, and when the days would have been demanding of him. And never does the Scripture say that David waxed faint, and that David grew tired, that David grew weary, that David grew weak. But after this particular battle, the Scripture decides to let us know. David's tired. I don't know what it would have looked like. I don't know what the conversation would have sounded like. But at some point, it was obvious to David and it was obvious to the others. David's not as young as he used to be. David's tired. And he doesn't have the energy that he once had. Not only did this happen in David's life, the enemy knew that David was getting older. Well, how do we know? Because in verse number 16, it says this, And Ishbi Benob, if that's how you want to pronounce it, which was of the sons of the giant, which makes me kind of think he was probably a son or a descendant of Goliath, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with the new sword thought to have slain David. Now what does this mean? It means this, that this particular Philistine, it was like a personal goal of his to take out David. Of all the people he wanted to kill in battle, of all the people that he wanted to eliminate that day in battle, it was his own personal desire as a son of the giant to take out David. Maybe it was a sense of revenge. Maybe it was a sense of pride to be able to say, I took out the king of Israel. I don't know what it was that motivated him, but his desire was definitely this, to slay David. Now, again, don't think for a moment that this was the first time David was the center of someone else's attention. Many people had sought to take David's life. Many people, no doubt, would have lasered in on him and wanted to be the one who took out David. But we read of this instance and we read of this moment and we never really read of a close call in David's life. I mean, very few times in which we could say, wow, that was pretty close. But here David is at the end of his life. He is growing weak. He is growing tired in the midst of this battle. And somebody has focused on him completely and entirely to take him out. And notice what it says in verse number 17. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, succored him. 
What does it mean whenever it says that Abishai succored him? It means this. He came to the aid of, he helped David. Do you understand what the scripture is alluding to? He is saying this, that had it not been for Abishai, humanly speaking, David would have been dead that day. Abishai had to step in and help protect the life of David. Now, am I suggesting that there were never any close calls in which David wasn't thankful for the aid of someone else? It's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is this. It it, it is not recorded in the Scripture, which kind of makes me think this. It was a rare occasion when David needed a whole lot of assistance in battle. I mean, yeah, he needed other men fighting, but, I mean, David pretty much knew how to take care of himself. But on this particular battle, the scripture records that Abishai had to step in and help him and had to help alleviate that threat. Notice what it says in verse number 17 that Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, succored him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Now notice what it says in verse number 17. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle. Think about that. You're out in battle. Watch this. You're out in battle. And for anybody who's watching, they can tell David doesn't have the strength and the energy he used to have. This one man who is the son of the giant focuses in on David and says, I'm taking David out. And had it not been for Abishai coming to the aid of David, humanly speaking, the son of the giant would have taken him out. And at the conclusion of that particular battle, here's what the men of David said. David, when it comes to battle, you're done. You just fought your last fight, David. David, you're not going out with us anymore. David, you won't be leading us into any more battles. You will not be leading us into any more wars. You will not be leading us into any more conflicts. David, you are done. Were they just trying to be mean to the old man? No, not at all. It says in the last part of the verse, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. Essentially what they're saying is this, David, you're our leader. David, you're our guide. David, you are the one that we look to for the leadership in the nation of Israel. And here's what we don't want. We don't want your light of leadership to be quenched. So here's what we're doing. We're not going to let you fight anymore. Why? Because David physically did not have the ability to do it. David, you're not 17 anymore. You're not not where you were. Hey, David, we're not trying to be rude. We're not trying to be offensive. We're not trying to be ugly, but you're past your prime. David, we can't afford to let you go out in battle. Why? Because that makes it just one more thing that we have to worry about, one more thing that we have to be mindful of. David, you're done in fighting this battle. Now, the Scripture doesn't tell us what David's response was. But if David was a man who had the heart of a fighter, do you think he said, okay, 
No, I think there probably was this, I don't know, internal battle in the heart of David. I still got it. I can still do this. I had a bad day. I just got winded. I mean, listen, it was a little it was hotter today than it normally was or or it was more humid than it normally is or or the the I don't know, the hill was a little steeper than what I'm used to. No, I still got this. I don't know if he said anything. I don't know what his exact response was, but the men said, "David, you're done. No more battles for you." Because we don't want the light of Israel being quenched, you being killed. Now, I don't know about David, obviously, and everything that would have happened. But I do know this, at least of myself and some men. We kind of like to relive the good old days. I mean, I don't know about you. And again, I'm only 40. Every once in a while, I go back in my mind so nobody knows where I'm at, you know, (laughs) because I don't want anybody to know where I'm at. And in my mind, I go back to 18. Same height, but a whole lot slimmer. I follow this. Able to do things with ease. You know what this is like. I mean, back in high school, 17, 18 years old, this height, 205 pounds, exercised, ran, and all this other stuff. It's, it's like, uh, how did that transition into this? You know what I'm talking about. I'm not, listen, I'm not 18 anymore. I'm not 25 anymore. I'm not 35 anymore. And here's what I find myself doing from time to time, reliving those good old days. And I don't know how many times this is true and how many times I'm telling the truth, but I think sometimes for many of us, as we relive the good old days, they're probably a little bit better in our mind than they actually were. You know what I mean? I don't know exactly what it would have looked like for David. But to be in his 60s and for his men to say, David, you're done. I just have to believe there were some moments and there were some times in his life where he reflected on those days watching his father's sheep. And there he was again, just tearing into that lion, tearing into that bear. And yeah, standing over it victorious. Don't you know his mind went to that day that he's walking around with Goliath's head in his hand? And let me tell you something, friend. He could not have over-exaggerated his studliness that day. I mean, he was the man. And don't you know that there were other battles that he would have replayed in his mind? The day that he took out these enemies and he took out these enemies and took out the enemies here and whoever they were. But all that's behind him. I don't know. 
I want to keep emphasizing this. I don't know, but if David was a man, and he's pretty clear, he's pretty clearly shown that he was a man, I just have to think that as he looked back over the battles and the wars that he was engaged in, he was thankful for every battle he fought. As he fought for his family, as he fought for his nation, as he fought for his friends and his loved ones, I just have to think that David, being the man that he was, looked back over the course of his life and said, Man, I'm thankful for that, I'm thankful for that, I'm thankful for that. Did David have plenty of regrets? Of course he had plenty of regrets. But here's what I think David would say, maybe not in these exact words, but when it came to his heart for fighting for his family and for his nation and for his friends and his loved ones, I think he'd say something like this, You know what? Now that I can't, I'm thankful that I did all that I could when I could. I can't go and do like I once did. I can't fight like I once fought. I have to admit I did grow faint out there. I did become weak. I did become tired. I did become weary. And and I don't like hearing what the men have said, but I know that the men are right. And I'm thankful that I did all I could when I could because today I can't. As I thought about what happened in David's life, I think you see where I kind of made some application in my own personal life. I got a one-time shot with my family. Yeah, I mean, I understand how this works. I'm getting old enough now that I, I'm, I'm figuring some of this out. I told Susie I was looking at somebody's pictures yesterday on Facebook, and I said, man, they look old. And then I was reminded they're about three years younger than me. No exaggeration. I thought, okay. Yeah, okay. And now I know what they think when they see my pictures on Facebook. Hey, Kyle's getting old. Yeah, well. And I was sitting there looking at his kids, and I thought, man, his kids are getting older. And there sits Nathan. Well, duh. I've got just a few more years with him in the house. And then guess what? He's moving on and he's transitioning into the next stage of life. I know you know this, but here's what I'm saying. Here's what I've tried to adopt for myself. With Nathan, I want to do what I can when I can because there will come a day when I can't. I want to do with my girls what I can, when I can, while I can, because there will come a day when I can't. As it relates to Susie, I want to do all that I can, when we can, because there will come a day when we can't. I'll never be 20 again. I'll never be in my 30s again. And and we're not going to be able to relive any of this. So then it brings up this question. How many opportunities and how many chances will I get to serve my Lord? I'll get one. The same number of opportunities I have to raise my children and to be married to my wife is the exact same number of opportunities I will have to serve my Lord. Here's what I want to do in serving my Lord. I want to do all that I can while I can. 
because there will come a day when I can't. I know we know this, but I want us to think about this for just a couple of moments. This is going to happen to every one of us that we will either die or become irrelevant before our death. You're not going to escape it. I'm not going to escape it. Every one of us are going to die or become irrelevant before our death. See, you know what I'm talking about, and I know that we don't like to discuss it or things of that nature, but, I mean, the reality is this. One day I'll be the one lying in the casket that somebody will be saying about, saying things about, or I'll be the one who's in the nursing home with the body still present but the mind far removed. Somebody says, well, you don't know that's going to happen to you. Okay, there's a real good chance that if my body is present and my mind is still somewhat attached to my mind, there's going to come a day that I won't have the strength and the energy to, to do what I can do right now for the Lord. So it's kind of like David's fight for his nation and David's fight for his people and David's fight for his family and David's fight for his friends. I look at the spiritual battle and and I'm not trying to sound weird here or anything of that nature. I'm just saying that as I look at my personal life, I say, okay, I've got one chance and one chance only to serve the Lord. I want to do what I can while I can because when the day comes that I can't, I don't want to have any regrets that I could have done more for the cause of Christ, but I chose not to. I've said this before to different people, maybe publicly, I don't know. I really do want to preach until I can't preach any longer. I don't want to preach in my 60s because I have to for a paycheck. I just want to be able to preach then because I just enjoy preaching the Word of God. I don't want to invest in lives just today because that's what I get paid to do. I want to invest in lives in the future because that's what I want to do. I don't want to try to influence people today because, well, Brother Kyle, that's just what you're supposed to do in your position. No, I want to do it in the future because there will come a day when I can't. And I know we know this, so simple, so basic. But if I were to take the time this morning and say, okay, I want you to look at this situation, this family, this individual, I I could say something like this. Did you know that they completely let their family slip by them? Their family grew up and their family aged and matured and finally moved away and This family, uh, listen, I I hate to say this, but it's so true out there. They wasted it. They totally wasted it. Why? Because they gave themselves to so many other things at the expense of their family. I could say, listen, there are people out there, they've been married for a long time, but they have a whole lot of years that they wasted in their married life. This had greater priority and this had more importance and significance to them and so this happened and this happened and those years that they had together as a married couple they're gone 
never to get them back. And how many people right now are living their Christian life? They could be involved in the battle right now. They could be engaged in the spiritual warfare right now that they're supposed to be in. But they're distracted by this. And they're pursuing this. And this has their heart. And this has their affection. And this just seems so boring. This just seems so mundane. This just seems so unimportant and irrelevant. Yeah, I know what it may appear to be like right now, but I can promise there will come a day when those people who have neglected this will look and say, if they are truly a child of God, there will be a day when they look and they will say, I wish I had given more to that. But they can't. Because they already had their chance. And they blew it. This morning, I'm not trying to be downer Debbie or anything of that nature. But I just want us to stop and consider something. By the grace of God, you're not dead yet. By the grace of God, I'm not dead yet. And by the grace of God, none of us are completely irrelevant. Yet. So let me ask you this. If you're not dead yet, listen, if you're not dead yet and you're not irrelevant yet, are you fighting the spiritual battles you could and should be fighting? It's a spiritual battle. It is spiritual warfare. Are we engaged in the battle? Are we fighting for our nation? Are we fighting for our family? Are we fighting for our friends? Are we giving it everything we can from the spiritual standpoint? Or are we kind of out in life chasing other things that have more significance to us? I'm just telling us there's coming a day when we won't be able to. And we will wish we had of. Every one of us have the chance and the opportunity today to say, you know what? I'm going to engage in the battle. Why? Because I don't want any regrets when I can't. Spiritually, are you doing everything you can while you can? So that when you can't, you don't have the regrets that you didn't. Let's all stand today and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you would speak to each heart here this morning, either by way of confirmation that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing and really.